Welcome back to Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch. I'm your host, Peter Schorsch. Joining me today I, uh, is our good friend, Matt Dixon uh, from Politico, Florida. He's the bureau chief there, multi um, times on this show. One of the things that I've just decided with the show, Matt, is like, like I just want to get the, like, kind of the, the not the armchair analysis, but just more pods, more like 45, 50 minute pods with so much going on. And you're like, you're just in the thick of so many things. And I got to say, your reporting has been, it's not, it's, it's, it's almost at a different level right now. I think you've got some like more, I don't want to say it's enterprise, but you know, I'm uh, the piece about Ron DeSantis building up support out West. Then today you had a great piece about um, how the DeSantis administration sues on these culture wars, but is running up legal fees, et cetera. Um, what are you working on right now, uh, basically? Well, we're just, I mean, the, the, usually an off, off your midterm and what I'm, or an off your election cycle, and I mean a midterm, not a presidential cycle, has us like super swamped. And in 2018, just sort of the, the day to day churn, there was, you know, five major candidates running for, for, you know, to be governor on the Democratic side. There was Putnam and DeSantis and a, a real primary. And there was some, some major Senate, you know, primary, state Senate primaries. I feel like, well, there's plenty to do. It's not a dead time like any election cycle isn't. But as far as midterms go, there's for us, at least, there's been a little more time to breathe and do some some more step back stuff as opposed to the the day to day churn that that, you know, generally greets us each election cycle, especially I've always been of the case in Florida, the bigger at the state level, the bigger election cycle is the off year. Presidential cycles are big and Florida is always in play usually, but with every statewide candidate, every statewide office almost uh, on, the, on the ballot in off years, they've always historically been busier for us. And right now that's not necessarily the case. So we've had time to, to dig in, do some more step back, try to develop sources in other parts of the country because you know the, the governor is, is, is playing and talking to people in other parts of the country and, and we all have a sense of what he wants to do next. So we've had a little more time to sort of develop that thread because the, the day-to-day stuff isn't what uh, at least I was initially expecting going in, into the midterms here. All right, so that raises two questions. Uh, is you're basically in a way you're playing the long game in a sense for 2024 DeSantis. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a little bit of that. And then number two, um, and I know you're hesitant to always get into a meta discussion about the nature of Politico Florida, especially vis-a-vis other uh, outlets like ours, um, I will say, I feel like we kind of cover the rat-a-tat-tat and you all uh, of the campaign cycle and you all are able to do um, what you're great at, which is like you say, take a step back. Is that is that what Politico Florida is is doing right now? It's more, it, to me, it feels like it's more the the Florida Bureau of the, of the national Politico operation, which is a good thing. I'm not being critical of it, but it feels more like like the way that we used to think of like as the London Bureau uh, at the New York Times, this like far off, uh, always adventuresome, uh, the, <laughs> the, the the reporters are at the bar, uh, swashbuckling. It just feels like you and Gary, uh, to a certain extent, ha- are like are, are, are upholding that tradition. I mean, sort of. I, I, I do like happy hour, if that's what you mean. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I, let me let me sort of 
pull some of the layers back. There was there was a lot to that onion. I don't think if if you just say we're playing the long game, you're you're probably giving honestly we we don't have that the ability to have that much foresight. It's it's the game that's here today. I mean, he's the governor is 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 winning straw polls in other parts of the state. Has has supporters in other parts of the state. Is is regularly traveling to other parts of the state. And not only that, but there are 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 major operative types in other parts of the country that are just dying to talk about the guy. And to an extent, and I don't even totally know why this is. It's easier for me right now to get people to say interesting things about Ron DeSantis and other parts of the country that isn't mm. Florida. And I think that's a lot of it because the Florida folks are are kind of afraid, honestly. I mean, there are sources that I've known for, you know, 10, 12 years here that, you know, still very much talk to me, but don't want to go on the record. I start, you know, work work a little bit to start getting operatives numbers in other parts of the state. I cold call them and they say, hey, yeah, we'll talk about DeSantis. So I don't know that it's so much the long game. I think it's the game that that exists here today. And as far as just being an extension of our DC office, that I, I could see how that perception would exist. But I mean, it's only because, you know, 95% of our work doesn't see the light of day. I mean, we still have Andrew Atterbury, Bruce Ritchie, uh, Eric Sarkeesian doing it's just, just solely in the weeds policy focused reporting um which is is very 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 florida focused so i think we're we're trying to walk and chew gum at the same time but certainly our highest profile stuff gives off that perception but i don't know that that's i certainly wouldn't say that's strategic or by design it's just because the stories that give off that perception are the ones that get the most attention and they're outside the paywall is how does it work for you all like there's got to be sometimes when you get the call from dc or new york or wherever your editors are at like we're about to get cat bombed here oh <laughs> um, okay, go ahead um like a desantis like story it can go viral at a moment's notice right like in that sure. i i can just imagine you because you're you're especially during session like getting ready to cover the transportation and edu and economic development subcommittee and then all of a sudden ron desantis says you know joe biden smells like old people and there goes your day right i mean well, sort of i mean during I, I i like to say i have two hats and that's why i really don't like this job during session that is the capital and the legislative turn is completely my focus for the most part when something super political happens during that season gary will generally take the lead for us so get, get, you know, gary's our, our full-time political reporter so we're able to to manage both this time of year i'm much more focused on campaign trail politics and a much more traditional political reporter so i am on the ron desantis calls joe Biden, an old person, be at the, you know, to two to a degree right now, but we're able to do both. It doesn't totally upend my day when something like that happens during session. That's why we, you know, we have Gary, we have Playbook, we have, uh, you know, something, the you know, vehicles for political reporting that exist all year round, regardless of what's going on in the Capitol and from a, a more overt policy perspective. Um, and I don't want to add fuel to the fire, but let's just say that the relationship between not only Politico, but almost all of the traditional Capitol Press Corps and the governor's office, at least some people in it, is adversarial or maybe not non-cooperative is a nice way. Is that impacting your job or, and I'm just going to put this out for me, I will say it has been, it has been freeing, if not in, uh, empowering, like I blocked certain people in that department and I actually re-engaged with other people in other parts of the administration. And I will say like, not like Twitter is not the real world. And I, I don't like to say that because I love Twitter, but once I siloed that, I found myself 
with almost an extra half hour or hour a day of work uh, or ability to work. Um, and I think some of our reporters not having to respond to people calling us, you know, the, you know, uh, the, the, the democratic outlet for, you know, national Soros liberals or whatever it, I want to say like life's better. Um, now that may just be me. And I, again, I don't want you to, I don't want to add too much fuel on the fire because you don't, you kind of have avoided the, the, the confrontations, but given all that, how do you, how do you maneuver and still cover the Ron DeSantis administration. I like 100% of sentences that begin with, I don't want to add fuel to the fire. <laughs> fuel to the fire. That, was, that was quite quite the segue there. Um, I, I mean, I, I used to, there's, if you go far back in my, my uh, Twitter timeline, there are certainly times that I've, I've engaged and, and I, I found it to be such a hollow calorie useless exercise that I, I pretty much refrain from it now exclusively kind of by design. It's just every time it's, it's every, every time it, it happens at the end of it, nothing gets accomplished. I waste a bunch of time and there's absolutely nothing fulfilling to me about it. So um, I haven't blocked anyone. I actually did. I, I've never blocked anyone period on, on, on Twitter. It's not something I've ever done. So um, I certainly see all the chatter and all the conversations, but uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes no need to, to engage with a, a fairly insular ecosystem. It just doesn't help, you know, anyone. And as far as the relationship goes, I mean, we've all, it's, it's been talked about many times with the media and the Santos organization. It, it's, you know, the Scott people and in the past, it's certainly been tension. I mean, that's natural, but it's just so adversarial. I mean, if, if you ask, you know, anyone in the administration now, is the sky blue, they'll fight you on the premise of the question and come back and say, you know, unicorns are orange. And it's just sort of the, the, the nature of it right now. It's no fun. It makes life harder. Um, the public records apparatus of the administration is functionally shut down at this point. Um, it's, you know, you got to take them to court to get anything. And news organizations are generally very hesitant to do that. So it's certainly not you know, a space I'd want to be in, or I think any of my colleagues want to be in, but it's the reality we live in and everyone sort of manages it in their own way. And mine is to, to, you know, watch it, I guess, but I'm trying my best these days to, to not engage in ways that I think are, you know, toxic and frankly unhealthy. Um, now you are writing a book basically about DeSantis, or how do you want to frame your book? Is it DeSantis? Is it DeSantis 2022 and forward? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, I mean, DeSantis plays a role is because he's such a major player, but the, sort of the academic part of it, the the thesis and what the the publisher really liked or sort of bought is the idea that Florida was the preeminent swing state in the nation, and now it's kind of seemingly functionally right, and it's the story of how we got there. It's going to be packed with all sorts of, you know, stories, many of which have probably never been told before, and some, you know, interesting anecdotes and tidbits and the sort of gold coins that make, you know, stuff like this work. But it's not uh, geared, it, 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 my, my aim isn't to gear on one person or, or any individual, you know, people, but there, you know, any, any, any show has, has its, you know, more prominent actors than others. So some are going to get, you know, higher, higher level treatment than other people, but the overall sort of crux and the, the elevator pitch is Florida was a swing state. Now it seemingly isn't. Um, how did we get here? And we also take a look at the idea of, you know, if it is still a swing state, I don't, I don't close the door on that. All right. So let's talk about some of those elections. Um, 538 came out, I think, last week with its first forecasts and probabilities um, and basically gave both Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio 90 percent, 94 percent chances of 
winning re-election. I don't want to say chances the, because they use different terms, but forecasting it that there's a yeah. 94, no, 90 no. something percent probability. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. Do you disagree with either of those assessments? No, not at all. I don't. I don't know at this point. I mean, it's the the caveat always is it's it's Florida. Even you know Trump won by three point two points, and that was seen as a landslide. And that's a close race in a lot of states. So I I have not been saying you know with one hundred percent certainty these you know outcome X is going to happen. But I think with the national atmospherics of the you know the twenty twenty two midterms, the things that are happening nationally, you know R versus D on, on generic ballots and things like that, plus you know. I think there's, you know, something to be said for the idea that Ron DeSantis has significantly more momentum and resources than his Democratic opponents that I, I don't I don't know how that you don't put him as a heavy, heavy favorite to win. And while I think Val Demings is probably one of the best candidates Democrats could have put forward, she has some significant headwinds to beat a, you know, a guy in Marco Rubio who's got a, you know, a pretty much turn turnkey operation as far as a, a political operation and really knows how to win in Florida. So I think maybe in a different cycle, in a different universe, Rubio versus Demings could be, you know, a really, really interesting race. And it still might be, but I just think she's got a lot of sort of structural things working against her, uh, you know, in the midterms that, that are going to be really hard to overcome. I think uh, Val Demings ran into, um, I think her campaign really hit a, a block last week or maybe over the last 10 days when the national media started putting together a narrative of, um, Hey, look how bad the GOP Senate candidates are in Georgia, Arizona, and in other and in Pennsylvania and in other places. The there's not only a chance that the Democrats can keep the Senate, but that they might get to like 51, 52 and may not need Joe Manchin and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And suddenly it was like, not only is Demings and Florida an uphill battle, but it's not even like what is the point of spending $20 million there when $20 million in Arizona and New Hampshire uh, does a lot more damage. Um, and so I, I've, and then I, there's something, and I'm hesitant to say it because maybe we're missing it, but it's like, just, just like watching the Twitterverse, watching what's going on, watching their reach out. I don't know what it is with like Florida US Senate candidates. I had the same problem personally with Bill Nelson's campaign I just like, I can't, we don't get a lot from Val Demings campaign. Scott Powers is in Orlando, has had a longstanding relationship with them. It's always pulling teeth to get stuff. They prefer to drop it to national media, et cetera. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of momentum out of Demings right now. But I, I think it's just the nature of those races. I mean, we don't cover once they're elected. We don't. And I'm, I'm, when I say we, I specifically mean our organization because I don't want to speak for others. But at the Florida level, I mean, we have an entire congressional team. So our Florida based team doesn't you know, cover the congressional delegation or U.S. senators as close once they're elected. So I think because they're you know, the Senate is a, a fairly national body with more national attention than state level stuff, that's going to kind of be a, a natural flow. I mean, we're going to cover Whatever the, go the next governor of Florida does, we're going to cover absolutely everything they do um, sort of sort of in the weeds from building their administration to, you know, what they do during session and, and what they do, you know, everything essentially. And that's just not the same dynamic with U.S. Senate candidates. Um, so I, I've had the same experience in the past as far as, you know, interaction with Senate campaigns versus say gubernatorial campaigns. So I don't I'm certainly experiencing the same thing you are, but I just you know, it's I, I think sort of natural necessarily it's not 
what I like or not necessarily my defense of it, but you know, the, the media they she hopes to deal with most when she is, you know, if she becomes Senator Demings, just like Senator Rubio is, is, is national press, not necessarily Tallahassee based reporters like our organization or, you know, state level people like, like your team. So I think that's kind of what drives that more than any, you know, momentum versus no momentum or, you know, beef with state level reporters. I think it's more of a natural fit sometimes. Okay. Do you see, um, I guess it's, do you see any other surprises uh, popping out there? I mean, I don't see anything really happening in the attorney general's race. Although I'll say, I think Ufelder gets ahead of Aramis Alea, but I don't really. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I, I, I don't. I mean, this feels like the, like, a few cycles ago uh, when, I mean, for a few cycles, Democrats had at least viable, real cabinet, you know, uh, candidates. And I'm not saying that those have filed don't, you know, necessarily on paper have, have bad resumes or anything or anything personally with them, but just the dynamics of these races they're right now, unless something really, really structurally changes, they're kind of nothing burgers. And I mean, you, you, you guys, and, and we have reported on, you know, over the several months, you know, gosh, I guess on the back end of 2021, the, the swings and misses on Democrats trying to recruit more impressive cabinet candidates, and they just weren't able to get it done for various reasons. And now they're, you know, left with a sort of an under-resourced slate and a, a cycle that was going to be tough for them to begin with. So I, I just, yeah, I, I mean, what I think is going to be interesting in the Florida cabinet over the next few years I mean, Moody, Patronus, and Wilton Simpson all want all see themselves as governor one day. So, how are they going to use the you know the cabinet as a platform to position for that? I think is going to be a fun thing to kind of watch, assuming this cycle plays out like we think it's going to. All right. So, anything down ballot? Like, interesting? Are you? I mean, and this is the challenge of Florida politics. It's like we've got we're tracking like 110 races at the primary yeah. level, but some of those are easy wins, but then, you know, you got, uh, you know, you got battles in CD 13, 15. I mean, there's a lot at that level that, um, you got to cover. I I think, I think Lauren book is going to sew that up. I I think that race didn't turn in quite what people thought it was going to be, but she's had to spend over a million dollars and she has, you know, an opponent who's, who's still doing, you know, putting her own money in and doing TV spots. So just the fact that a caucus leader has a, a real primary challenge, I think is interesting. There's, you know, Federoff and Barnaby, a member on member primary, um, you know, just South of Jacksonville that I, you know, I, I don't know that. Whenever you say member on member, I mean, that just, that, you know, that makes me tingle. <laughs> oh, well, let me, let me, let me, let me immediately remove that from my talk sheet here. Uh, no, I so saw, I think, I think that's interesting too. And um, I mean, it's it, the, in Tallahassee here, the, the, the Osley, Corey Simon, that that's going to be interesting to watch. That's more of a general election thing. And then, you know, there's my, my congressional races are always interesting, but yeah, by, by and large, well, the, the, I guess the Florida Senate stuff is, is, is probably, you know, once the general election comes, there's Osley and there's Janet Cruz and there's, you know, some, some, some interesting races there. If, if Republicans sweep the races they wanted, you know, I don't even know, you know, what, what are we going to do here, you know, in Tallahassee in 2023, it's going to be such a, it's going to be Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington generals on steroids. Well, and I gotta be like, not honest, but uh, I, I almost feel honest. like, yeah, don't be honest. I think Corey Simon can beat Lorraine Osley up oh, there yes. in that Senate uh, race. Oh, I mean, so I. yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a coin flip race. I certainly think she could 
she could win re-election without question. But yeah, it's it's a real race for sure. I, I think without question. Um, and I also think like I, it just there's always an upset, and I just feel like is DeSantis going to get this place to like to 55, 56? And at that point, you know, I, I, I kind of put it out there today and I know it's crazy, but it's like Kathy Castor in congressional yeah. district 14. Is she even in trouble at that point? Well, in a, she's got a, I mean, the, the DeSantis map, if I recall, and you might know better than me because it's your region. I think she, she has a pretty good seat, doesn't she? Yeah. She's got a, they packed it yeah, so well yeah, for everybody yeah. else. So, I mean, that would, it would have, I mean, if she loses, it's going to be a, a wave of epic proportions here. It would seem, um, yeah, but I, I haven't thought a ton about that race because I thought she had a pretty favorable district on the new maps. But man, it would be something if, if, if that were to come to fruition. Are you, is there anything like, so one trend that we're writing about right now and we're following, I know like you guys have paid a lot of attention to like the school board races uh, yeah, and DeSantis's involvement in that. One of the things that we're tracking, like again, it's way down the ballot, but it's such a trend is how many initiatives there are at the county level, especially in red counties that are asking voters to increase their taxes, essentially because the state is not providing enough money for right. schools, roads, et cetera. Right. And these things are passing. Like they passed, I think, was it Manatee that just passed one? And there are other counties, other Republican yeah. uh, areas, but there's got to be like a dozen or two dozen of these things that'll be on the ballot in either August or November. Yeah, I mean, the, the electorate's a complex thing. I mean, it goes back to, you know, things like, you know, medical marijuana and, you know, $15 minimum wages passing in a state that's overwhelmingly red. I mean, it's, I, I certainly can't explain the idea of, especially in conservative counties in a conservative cycle, you know, things that can be perceived or, or are straightforward tax increases passing. But it's a, you know, that's why politics is a, a complicated sport and they uh, they pay people a lot of money to uh, to, to, to market to, to voters and do what they do. You know, I, I, I honestly I, I, you've been tracking a little closer than I have, but the general idea that ballot initiatives can pass that seem contrary to a county or an election cycle doesn't terribly surprise me. We, we've seen it here before in the state. I, I will say and it, it's not like proprietary to him, but like Rob Bradley, the former state senator from Northeast Florida, has had an interesting theory. You know, he was on the, he was watching the room a lot more when his wife was running, Jennifer, Jennifer Bradley is now a state senator in the seat that he previously held. And he was pointing out that in those kind of like hard scrabble counties, Union County, you know, some parts of Clay, uh, the places that we drive through on the way to uh, the, the conferences, flyover, the flyover, the fly, counties. flyover counties, um, that it makes sense that these are these are down class white voters that voted for minimum wage and medical marijuana because these are people who are out on disability after 20 years, 30 years of a hard career working with their hands, working with their back, and they're on medical marijuana. They want that and that that those issues line up. They want a better wage for themselves. Sure. and for their family and they want access to the only thing that's ever helped them literally you know keep them from pain other than you know opioids which obviously has ravaged so many right. of those communities so it's kind of interesting i just i like when there is just when you think florida is one thing we're also passing these tax initiatives 
um, well, uh, you know, on the other hand. Well, and there's there's also in those areas the, the perception, and you can hear it and feel it, that they've long been forgotten and ignored, especially by, you know, like governors or, or the state legislature. I think it, DeSantis has had sort of an interesting panhandle strategy in the past several months. I mean, a vast, I wouldn't say a vast majority, but a majority of his stops have been in rural panhandle counties. And, you know, those are areas that are going to vote for him either way. So you think, you know, why is the, you know, the higher degree of emphasis on those areas and just the, the language used by local officials and the, the governor talking about, you know, they haven't forgotten about us. This governor has been here more than any other governor. I think there's a real perception, you know, they're, they're, they're I think, amplifying it. But I, I do think it exists organically that a lot of those counties have felt politically forgotten about in a long time, both by politicians in their press conferences, but also in the state budget where they might not get as, as much money and they, you know, they need to, to, to move at the local level. All right. Um, as we do, you bring up flyover. Um, uh, as I drive from St. Petersburg, I'll go to any conference that's at the Amelia Island Ritz. Um, I know that you in Tallahassee, I, I think you're on I-4 probably more often than you are, yeah, you know, some parts than. of I-10. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you and I joked and we wanted to talk about it. It's, it's, it's conference season uh, right now, basically from, you know, there's two things going on in Florida politics underneath the radar. There is all of the lobbyists headed to New York, California, Key West, uh, as and spas in and at, around Naples, and they're raising money for, you know, the the legislative committees. Like if you look, if you've got lobbyists on your Instagram account, and the, you'll see them posting pictures from, you know, the Newport News yeah, music they festival. They, they, they don't hide it well, do they? Like, no, they not, don't. You're just like, wow. Uh, you don't even need fundraising invites sent to you beforehand. It's. <laughs> There's there's uh, there's Jackie Carmona and she's over in and yeah so you've got that and then for you and I and a few other people it's the most wonderful time of the year because this is where they will they will put us up at these hotels uh, for well we say for we, free we usually we we generally pay away I just want the disclaimer in there <laughs> oh no wait you don't get a free hotel room out of this I, I, no we, uh, we 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 pay our own way. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Christmas! I would. I there's no way I would go to. I know. And pay, wow. The the, the the struggle is real on the corporate media side here. Like, all right, so that like changes the direction, and now you're such a better person. Well, not now, but this clearly makes you another reason why you're a better person. Because, like, when they come to me, like I have my writer that I get them, and I'm like, there better be no yellow M and M's in, you know, the uh, dish. Uh, I, I need a sweet because Ella's going to be coming. Wow, I didn't know that you were doing this. Uh, well, I mean, on the company dime, but I, you know, yeah, I no, no, we are political. I, I'm not paying out of pocket, but certainly uh, we 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 pay our way as as a company. These things, yeah. All right, can we just can we pretend for a second? All right, so this is not your money, so you don't have to make a decision based on that. What is your favorite hotel to conference at? You know, three day conference. You got first night is a welcome reception. Inevitably, people mm -hmm. try. There's always somebody that drinks a little bit too much that first night. They're so excited. Whether yeah. it be the 
the concrete association or the manufacturer home association oh, it's, it's, it's everyone everyone who's there it's like they're most people it's like they're one conference a year and it's like they're, they're breaking out you can tell they like ironed their one jacket for the the first time all year <laughs> since probably like christmas at their uncle's house and it's like it's thrown down everyone's got the the too much cologne on at the hotel bar trying to trying to pretend yes. someone's not and i let that vibe is sort of uh if if i was a a, a an animal in a, a zoo if there was a zoo exhibit the 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 pamp the, the thing outside of my exhibit that would read what my natural habitat is it would be the hotel conference bar so I I just love yeah it's it's sort of my uh, sort of my scene I enjoyed a lot. Where's your favorite one? Uh, well, I, I like the hard if rock. You, if you could, well, there's two. I like the hard rock, and I'm looking forward to going to Statesman. Uh, at the end of this month for that but also i have a this isn't going to be on anyone's really favorite list because it's not like the fanciest but i because i've been to so many and i have sort of you know just interesting tales over the years i, I like the rosen center it's been the the, the host it's been the host oh i know it's it, i know it's not, oh no i know it's not on the top of i that's why I, I opened it but there's been so many there over the years and i have so many like personal stories from that little bubbly bar that's offset uh, on the, the first floor. I forget the name of it. That like, it, I just have a personal sort of Florida politics sort of nostalgic value to it for me. All right, so um, I do love the fact that the the Seminole tribe has now replaced Disney as yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We, we will give you free hotel rooms if you, ho uh, you know, not, and by free, I mean, they'll basically yeah. just do a $250,000 yeah. in kind of the party. Yeah. Right, right. They, um, they've, they've replaced Disney now in the post Disney like battle. Um, it, the tribe has stepped up and said, yeah, come on down, Ron DeSantis. Um, I want to talk about the summit in a second. Cause that's, that's got a couple of notes. All right. So the Rosen center, the thing about the Rosen center is like, it's kind of like, you know, like coming to America, like there's McDonald's and there's McDowell's, like all the <laughs> restaurants in the Rosen Center, like there's not Carabas, it's like Saribas. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like everything's just a little bit off brand, but it's the same. That was, I, so, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't making the case on merit. I was making it from, uh, it, I think that I've been going there most of our, the 15 years or whatever I've been here and like so many, so much weird shit has happened to me at that place. And I don't necessarily mean it in a bad way that it's just for whatever reason, when I, when a conference is there, it's like all bets are off, you know? Um, I will say my favorite conference story that involves you is the time that we were, uh, we were covering, the. Um, the uh, the Florida Democrats like leadership blue gala. I think this is like six years ago, and you know, and it was at Disney, and it was this, you know, this was a huge resort, huge complex, and you were oh, like, God, yeah, I remember, <laughs> yeah, you were tucked away like yeah. there's this very small bar that nobody yeah. else. It's like Mickey's Captain's, yeah, you know, it's like a, a, a nautical themed bar or whatever, yeah. right? Like there's like seven stools, and you happen to be in it, and I am also there and I'm just like good time. I'm like, hey, da da da. And I walk in and I see you and you like look at me and you kind of give me this look. And then it turns Shit. out that you're, you know, I'm like, what's the matter? And he's like, and you were interviewed. And I think, I think I met the guy that from Politico and I'm like, yeah. oh, here, he, what a little scoop I've got here. Yeah. Here. Yeah. No, that was, I was still, I was, I was still with scripts at the time. And that was like, yeah. the, they had come down to, yeah, the, uh, no, that wasn't. I don't think that was Leadership Blue because Politico was down there because it was some Scott event. It, it was a Politico was there covering it, so they wouldn't be there for a Leadership Blue. I forget exactly what it was, but yeah, they were. 
they had asked me to come down and talk to them about this bureau they were opening up here. And that was sort of the front end of, of Politico, Florida. And uh, yeah, so the, the one person who is going to care to make that public just happens to wander into this dinky little, <laughs> dinky little boat themed bar. And it's, uh, well, if you're going to go to a, going to go to a conference at Disney, it's a pretty small, pretty small world. Do you, um, do we have, so I've got, um, I think I've got, I've got the community health centers and the uh, next week and i've got the um i've got the municipal electric folks um back to back at the breakers so i'm uh, i'm i'm happy about that um and then i think i got i don't know are we doing league of cities like i feel like we're like this comedy routine like we'll be yeah, at the poconos I, in august I mean, I, yeah i i mean i i haven't heard from them so maybe we should like start maybe we should use this platform to to, to get more conference gigs yeah, we um, you know, the thing about the RPOF summit, like, and I don't want, uh, I don't want to add fuel to the fire, but so uh, I think that like they sent out a promo. This is like Sunday morning, like, hey, uh, we've lowered the rates on the discount rooms already. And I'm like, oh, that that's not a good sign that things are going well that um, and then I, I kind of, I guess the thing that struck me was I looked at the speakers lineup and say what you will and not to add fuel to the fire but it is completely different than the 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 rpof summits of years past like there yeah. are some people i don't even think i mean i know that they know who they are inside the governor's communications office but like right. like carol the writer from the washington post and like i don't know or from the not washington post from the new york post there's a lot of people that like uh, who uh, I don't know. Do, are these like name brands? Like I feel like yeah. this is just a different. This is clearly not your father's RPOF yeah, I mean, event at this point. I mean, the party's just different. I mean, Mitt Romney's not going to slap like he did a decade ago, and that was the sort of you know the 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 sort of speakers they had previously. And I mean, there's a whole culture of conservative influencers whose entire personality now, their their entire professed value system is the fact that they're Floridians now. So I think it it fits in well that they're you know, doing this stuff, they're, they're sort of, uh, you know, big time social media folks amplifying the administration's message and they're, they've become, you know, DeSantis people is their brand. I'm, I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll give a, a, a speech just laced with a whole bunch of applause lines and they'll get them and they'll hit. And that's kind of what this version of the party is now. I don't think these things are necessarily the places where, you know, the, the operatives or the insider types go. To the, they never really were. I mean, conferences aren't exactly for those people, but I think they used to be stocked with a lot more names, the people that we would recognize, and that's just not the case anymore. It's a, you know, a grassroots is a fairly uh, ambiguous term, but for whatever it means, I think these are a lot more grassroots oriented things. We're going to see a lot more, a lot more rhinestone hats than we are blue blazers. I think. Uh, yeah, I also think. Uh, I, number one, I think it's interesting. No Rick Scott, also no Donald Trump. I know. Oh, do that you know? I mean, Rick Scott has been. Why, why is that? I guess why is that interesting? I mean, Rick Scott cut ties from the party a long time ago. I don't, I don't know why, why he would be back at an RPF sanctioned event. And that, that never, when he wasn't on there, that never struck me as particularly note. I mean, notable. I, I suppose notable, but not that big of a deal, just because he has he hasn't been part of party proper since you know uh, Leslie Doer. I, I guess it's like. 
doesn't he want to be at the cool kids lunch table at some point? Like, I mean, just come in there and give a speech. I don't know. I, I guess you're right. I guess it's not yeah. surprising. He's, he's made an entire and a very successful political career out of sort of being the contrarian, though, you know. Yeah. So, and when you got, you know, when you're a billionaire, you can afford to be that, you know. Um, I do think that I do think there's going to be two or three instances where um, one of these characters says something insane like you know uh there is going to be there is going to be some proud boys there there is going to be somebody that says something like you know i don't know why we let jews do this um there is going to be i just i don't know that you can control 25 far right people and like you saw it like when there was the i think the stuff at like cpac or whatever in orlando where they're just there are just such right wing adjacent people that the media will go and interview, they will say something batshit crazy. And then, and not that he cares, but the governor, you know, it'll be like, hey, what do you think about um, Stan from Texas's racist statement, Governor DeSantis, and then he'll launch into something. And I feel, I guess DeSantis doesn't care about that, but as he moves to the national stage, I do wonder if like, there is gonna be a time where he starts to pivot away from, you know, Person X said the most crazy batshit thing about Joe Biden. Do you embrace it or not? I, I guess that yeah, may be uh, the only. Yeah, no, I don't, and it'll spin off the inevitable news cycle of you know. So person X says something objectively crazy. Several organizations write about person X saying something objectively crazy. A bunch of columns and editorials are spun off, and then a social media war happens because this, these things aren't perceived as bad anymore. I don't think. I, I think the ensuing fight with the your you know. The, the picking picking the fight with the media over it and casting them as you know anti-conservative or anti-republican for saying person x said something objectively crazy has become the point here i mean no one no republican i don't think especially in a primary environment be it nationally or at the state level is 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 going to be be hurt by by that and i think they're only going to be amplified by you know pointing to pointing to the media that that writes about this stuff and saying look at how crazy they are and of course there'll be 15 headlines from far-right conservative media you know writing stories about other more mainstream media outlets headlines and it's you know sort of the the silly season ecosystem in that regard and i, th I think that's probably what's going to happen inevitably inevitably at these things that's what's going to happen because you're right someone will say something that is is wildly out there we'll say wow this is wildly out there and then the you know conservative you know people conservative influencers on twitter will say we're wrong and it'll just be some self-fulfilling prophecy and then you know until that one's over and then the next one happens uh, you're right that's probably the whole point of um yeah you know i, don't, I guess I don't, these things aren't viewed as, as, as negative anymore and even maybe in a general election nationally it becomes a problem but i certainly don't think even even if we're talking about 2024 in, in a more national spotlight I, I just i don't think it's a problem in a primary right now um speaking of the fall uh wrap this podcast up um, how are the Packers looking? I, I, I haven't, are you starting to, I mean, I know you're yeah, always looking, but. I am, yeah. um, uh, exceptionally good. They're, uh, they still have Aaron Rodgers. Their defense is going to be the best they've had in a decade. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to uh, once again be hurt in January and you guys are all going to deal with it on Twitter. Um, I, we, uh, it's going to be an interesting, like, I will say, like, I am, um, I'm probably going into football because, like it 
you know, just having, I guess, one last year of Tom Brady and you kind of, maybe he plays for another two seasons, but I feel like this is the last, this has got to be the last man standing campaign, right? I mean, this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, correct? I would think so. We'll we'll know it. Well, and especially it's going to be interesting in how how loud in week 11 or 12, the Gronk coming back rumors start. Because I think inevitably (laughs) if they're hot and it's, I think without question, Gronk is coming back if it's like Super Bowl run sort of thing. He's just like, like back in the day, players used to fake injuries just to miss training camp. Yeah. Like the new thing is like faking retirement just to miss like the first 13 weeks of the season and i think you know i, I think it would be the least surprising thing in the world if the bucks get hot go on a run and then then gronkowski's back catching touchdown passes in the playoffs like he's always done i know you had you had um you had you have aaron uh rogers and you had far before that i hate to bring yeah. up his name um <laughs> it is there's as a sports fan and like i love the business of sports now probably more than i do sports like i love I like listening to podcasts about the salary cap. Uh, I guess it's just, but being a sports fan in a city with the goat is, it is like weird how it like, it does take over. Like I'm actually a Cowboys fan. Like I don't, you know, the bucks are the bucks, but the way it takes over everything in a town um, where it's like, um, you know, everything, everything is, you know, this parking meter is sponsored today by number 34. The, and it's like, everybody's in on it. Um, it's bigger than even like a college, like, cause I was in Tallahassee during, you know, a couple of national title role, uh, runs. And that clearly is not as big as when you've got the number one guy and he's making that final push. It, it's, it's something crazy. It, you know, I, I guess like Jordan with Chicago, um maybe the the only other equivalent i don't know what else maybe especially that way especially that way in green bay because it's such a small town um it's you know green bay that the joke even there is if it wasn't for the packers it would essentially just be gary indiana north Mm -hmm. and and so the when the packers are a super bowl contender in the playoffs like it's just palpable it's everywhere and the last time they were in the super bowl and i would probably do it again i didn't even consider going to the super bowl i I went home and watched it on a sports bar right outside of lambeau field and there's i think no place i would rather be for that sort of game or even rather than going to the super bowl it's just the the play it's a hundred thousand you know a hundred thousand people live in that city and when they're in the super bowl it's pretty much you know everything shuts down and it's a, a cool thing to be a part of all right. Well, uh, we will let you get back to covering all things Packers, all things Ron DeSantis, all things 2022. Um, we'll hopefully have you back on at least once more, if not a couple more times before uh, Election Day, which is six weeks away yes, starting tomorrow. So ballots start going out like this week. Right. I mean, it's yes. basically Election Day in Florida it's, over the uh, next 10 days. Yep, it's it, it has it's starting real soon here. All right, please say hi to your uh, better half and um, we appreciate you coming on. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for having me.